This is The Mitch Gray Show, where we are bringing the art of humanity back to leadership. Subscribe to The Mitch Gray Show wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Mitch Gray Media, where you'll find each of our episodes and other resources that will equip, inspire, and empower you to lead well. And now, The Mitch Gray Show. What is up, brothers and sisters? Welcome to The Mitch Gray Show. I'm chatting with my uh, friend, Casey Bell, today. Casey, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It's great to have you. I was on your uh, one of your earlier shows called Rider to Rider a few months ago, and we made that connection. And I really enjoyed that, uh, you know, being on your show and getting to talk with another rider. So, Casey, you you are an author yourself. Um, you have quite a few titles under your belt. You're a podcaster and a graphic designer and so many other things. And so I love that. But I have a big question that I want to start with, if that's okay. And that question is, what makes writing powerful? Well, everything ever created, unfortunately, has two sides. And so does writing. And writing positively could free people um, with, you know, education um, it could help people with their finances, help people with um, their emotional problems. It could help people with their mental problems. But unfortunately, what also makes it powerful in the other sense is writing can deceive people. Mm. It could cause people to be captive. It could cause people to be the exact opposite of what's good. So it's powerful because it, it shares both truth and lies and it's unlimited because anyone can if you have the ability to write anyone can write and anyone can share their writings with anyone and then people can do what they want with it so it's definitely powerful in a sense that it could cause someone to change for the good or it could cause someone to change for the bad so that that's that's a very interesting perspective. When, when you look at writing on the surface, I, I don't know that most people would have that perspective that you just shared. Let's call that influence, right? That when you put something on pages for someone else to read, you're, you're leaving an, Im, an influential impact one way or the other. It's almost not neutral. Um, n- well, it's not neutral in a sense. Anyone writing knows their, their intent. Mm. Um, they're usually not in between. They know their intent right. to either cause love or to cause hate. So, but what you, what the audience takes from it, um, that's a whole different story. But the writer knows their intention. Yeah, I think you just alluded to something that that is very true, and that is what voice is coming across the page. And a really good writer will be able to portray the voice of intent. Um, almost in this miraculous, magical format, right? That that someone can read something and have all the options in the universe of how to interpret that, but a really good writer gets that intentional voice across. Yes, yes, definitely, definitely. So, Casey, you have... Um, man, I look at your repertoire of projects, and A, they're diverse... <laughs> And B, this is a you've been writing and publishing since what two thousand seven? Is that correct? Yes, um, I would say up and on it wasn't consistent. 
Um, there were times where I took off, but 2007 was the first year that I actually um, published something and then I've been doing it off and on since then. Yeah. So what led to your diversity of, of writing projects? I mean, you've got everything from, uh, from children's books to some horror stuff um, to uh, looks like some historical uh, type, type projects some educational type projects. What led to that diversity as a creator? I would say it it comes from, I don't believe the coincidences, I was raised in, I don't know the exact age because I don't know the exact age of my younger cousins, but I believe from the time I was born to the time I was seven or eight maybe, I was the youngest cousin from both sides of the family. Mm. And on my mom's side of the family, I had Hispanic, Asian, Caucasian, and obviously Black America in my family. So I already grew up with diversity, so I never had the unction of thinking there was something wrong with it. The first church I grew up in, the pastor was white and his wife was Black. Mm -hmm. um, and then I went to definitely, not necessarily elementary and middle school, but definitely high school. I went to a very diverse high school with everyone from every nation you can imagine was there. And um, then music. My parents grew up in music. They were both, that's how they met. They met backstage um, at a concert. They were both in, um, my mom was in a group with her, fan, her siblings and my dad was in a um, quartet wow. um, with his friends. So I grew up in music and I never was told you can't, because you're black, you can't listen to this or that or that. Huh. Whatever I got a chance to listen to, I did. So by the time I was introduced, school really introduced me to discrimination and diversity. But by then I was already taught that there's nothing wrong with it. So right. I never had the chance to believe that you're supposed to discriminate your talent and segregate your talent, which is what we do. You know, and unfortunately, America is really the only country that does that, really. Um, they say, oh, if you're horror, that's it. Don't you dare write. Oh, maybe thriller. You can write thriller, but <laughs> right. it, it may be mystery. Right. Maybe mystery. But don't you dare try to write a romance because yeah. we've gotten used to your horrors. And so, but because, like I said, by the time I got into the writing business, I was already in raised in diversity i just it was never oh i'm going to write diversely it was just when an idea came to me i wrote it and i didn't stop and say wait a second my first book was a teen book so that's all i can write there's okay. nothing else i could ever write in my life right. like it didn't i didn't think of that because i was already raised in the mindset of whatever you want to do just do it and don't throw it in a box or categorize it that is amazing it, it <laughs> I find it amazing for so many reasons. Number one, I've I've always had this saying that I that I share with people, and that is, you know, as little children, we don't understand the concepts of of segregation or of of exclusion or of not being creative. You know, little kids are like, yeah, I can dig a tunnel to Japan. Like they, like they don't understand how, you know, those quote reality things work. And and I and little kids for the most part are really innocent within that curiosity. And it, I think you're right. It's almost like when we enter, you know, school, when we when we start getting around these other 
options and and I always say that it's almost like it's burned out adults that start messaging to us, no, you can't, rather than yes, you can. And I really believe that that's a reflection of, of their own um, interpersonal issues <laughs> that they, they don't believe it can happen anymore. So they teach that to little kids. And, and so it's empowering to me for that reason. But also, I love your mindset of whatever comes to your mind, you're going to create. Um, I have a background in music and music is one of those industries that is very much genre based. And you've heard of the bands over the, you know, over the years that are like, well, we don't want to be categorized and they still get categorized. And so I just, I love that, that you hung on to that kind of curious spirit that your family taught you. Nice job. Nice job. (laughs) Thank you. Um, yeah, that's, that's amazing. So tell us, I want to ask this question, then I'm going to come back to something, but I want to ask something really fun here. Is there a favorite book? Do you have, out of all the books you've published, do you have a favorite that you're just like, yeah, in my heart of hearts, that's the one I still hang on to. I've been asked this multiple times and the answer is the same. I don't have a favorite, but there is one book that, um, I mention only because of the kind of book it is. Um, I don't know yet, um, because I didn't research and, but I believe I'm the first person to ever write a book in the sense that I wrote it. And the, the, that book is, it's a long title only because it's the, the synopsis says it's two books, kind of, sort of, two books in one kind of, sort of. So the book is called Essays of Dysfunctional Families, colon, Literary Betrayal. Mm. And the reason why that book is because I believe is the first book of its kind because the first book essays of literary um, essays of dysfunctional family is written by a fictional author. It's written by me, but it's written by a fictional author. And what he did was he took his family and friends secrets and he put them in a book. And even though he, he made sure, you know, he changed the genders and all that, they still had a problem with what he did because they knew for sure, what those stories were and where they originated Mm. so literary betrayal is the book about him and his family and friends response to his best-selling book essays from dysfunctional families and the reason why that i did that was so i wanted to write a book myself Mm. of certain things i was aware of of people i knew but i was always fearing you know people's response right so i decided to write a book about an author who gets in trouble with his family and friends for what he wrote and that was literary betrayal Mm. but as i was writing the book it was just very boring because i said to myself unless you see what he did you won't understand why they're so angry so that's when i said i need to provide the book for the reader to see what he did in order for you to understand why his family and friends are so upset at what he did and because that is a one-of-a-kind book, I don't think there's any books out there where you get to read two books in one. Right. And so right. that's why I choose that book. I always choose that book. Yeah, that's in, in, a, in a little kind of sliver of a way. It reminds me of uh, The Umbrella Society. What, what's the name of that series on Netflix? Uh, the Umbrella Academy. And there's kind of a story within that that's very similar where one of the kids wrote a book about kind of the, you know, the underlying activities of the family and the family got ticked off 
adder, but I, I've never seen that in kind of what you're describing either. That's really, really interesting. What's been the response to that book? That came out in 2014, is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Um, so far, I don't really know because I haven't received much reviews. However, right. I have, those who have read it, um, they say that the first book is really the book that the essays from dysfunctional families because what I did was even though there is a slight chance some of those stories are completely true I wrote them in a I mean yeah at the end of the day you don't know there are a billion people on earth you don't know what people are going through right if you're not in their life but what I tried to do was make the because we have such a hard time dealing with whatever the case may be molestation mm -hmm. incest abuse neglect abandonment and we, because of shame and guilt and condemnation, mm -hmm. we don't want to deal with it. Mm -hmm. So I figured if I wrote these stories that were like the most obscene things you've ever heard in your life, <laughs> it would make you feel a little bit more comfortable talking about your own stuff. Yeah. So yeah. I, I've heard people say that the first book really made them check themselves mm -hmm. and to really start dealing with whatever it was that they thought that they should just ignore and let go. Mm -hmm. So that's, um, and then funny enough, the very first, because originally Writer to Writer episode was me and another author. So the very first episode that I did, um, person was in California. He asked me that same question. What was your favorite book? And mm -hmm. I told him. And he goes, wait a second. Is that the book where, and then he starts describing me the book. And I was like, yeah. He goes, I read that book. And oh, I was wow. like, are you serious? <laughs> he was like, yeah. I was like, wow. Wow. So he he said the same thing. It was it was um just mind mind blown to him about the, the basically the first section. Because the first section, like I said, every story I mean, one or two stories are not really that bad, but most of them are get get very, very dirty. Yeah. Very, very yeah. dirty. Oh, that's interesting. So speaking of projects, what do you have on the burner right now, um, book-wise? Good question. It's, I hate to say this because, and this is just not with my writing, this is with all my work. There are day. I know they say if you're an artist, you're supposed to create art every single day. Mm -hmm. If you're a writer, you're supposed to create something every day. Mm -hmm. But I don't. Mm -hmm. um, there are seasons where I feel like I need to just sit. Mm. Um, so I'm not, I'm literally not working on anything new, but I will say I just finished a compilation of poems and short stories. Okay. Most of them, not all, but most of them, well, all the poems in there, yes, but not all the short stories, but most of the short stories were um, submitted to either a, a magazine or um, literature journal. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, they were all rejected. And for most submissions they require something that's never been published right so but all my works have been published so i purposely wrote stuff specifically for them so when they rejected it my thing was well, what do i do with it now because most of the stuff i wrote was for this particular topic and theme which yes. means i'm not really going to find a place for it so i decided to put them together into a book um, I can't tell you the process, the progress of that because I am a self-published author. However, with this project, I wanted to try doing it the other way of getting a publisher. Mm -hmm. 
So I have submitted it and I'm just waiting on a response right now. Yeah, the the season of waiting, I think we all go through that, right? Whether you know, in this in the in this social media driven world and you know, we people post all of the good stuff that's happening and very rarely do you see anyone journal or post about this, you know, the seasons of waiting that take place or the boring parts of the process. <laughs> and, and to be honest, you know, as, as creators and as, you know, even if someone's an entrepreneur or a business owner or whatever, 80% of the process is really, really boring. <laughs> There's not a whole lot of percentage that's fun, but it's the drive to create and to, to you know, kind of have that ambition that, that pushes you forward. So I get it. I get it. Yeah. I think if I had the money to hire someone to type everything for right. me, it would be much more fun. The typing I, is what annoys me in the formatting. Yeah, I actually enjoy typing. I, I'm, I'm a little bit old school that way, but I will say I recently began using some voice dictation. The downside to voice tic, uh, dictation is I end up going in and editing 90% of it. And so I'm like, I'm almost doubling my work yeah. by voicing it and then going in and retyping it. But um, because I know I know a lot of writers specifically that use voice dictation um, quite a bit for you know document creating, but I, I haven't quite figured that out yet. But um, yeah, so tell us about your podcast. You before the show we were talking a little bit about some of the new things you're working on and um, you know what what you've got going and where people can find you. Yes. So I started a venture, um, not by choice. Um, so the long-winded story behind it is prior to the pandemic, I was trying to get my book sold and I did a bunch of webinars. And one of the main things they all had in common was they said, you need to appear on the news, mm -hmm. a newspaper, mm -hmm. on a podcast, on a whatever. Yes. So I set out to find these people and most of them were saying, um, well, some of them said no, some of them ignored me, and some of them were saying um, we're overbooked, so oh. we're not booking anymore. We don't have the time. And some of them were saying that their podcast or their blog was a hobby and that they have a full-time job, so they blah, 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 blah. Right. So I was like, okay, I guess that's not going to work. So when the pandemic hit, and everyone was forced to stay home, my thought was, well, now you have time. So let me go back out there and try it again. <laughs> yes. So I tried again and I got the same response. So I'm too busy or no, or I don't do that anymore. Thankfully, lo and behold, I did find one author who hosts her own podcast and her name was um, Nancy Christie. Mm. And I said to myself, well, before I send this out, let me rethink. Because before I was like, help me, help me, help me. And so I'm like, maybe if I throw in a favor somehow, ah. they'll say yes. So I sent out an email and I said, oh, I saw your website, blah, blah, blah. Would you mind interviewing me? I said, in return, I will interview you for my blog that I have. And she got back to me. She said, sure. She said, just not right now. I'm busy. So I said, okay. So she finally got back to me and she said, how about we just each ask each other five questions and have an author to author interview? And immediately I went, bing. I was like, that's amazing. <laughs> and so I said, that's an amazing idea. I'm stealing it from you. I hope you don't mind. And she said, sure, no problem. So that's how my first podcast 
or I call it a vodcast because it's um, YouTube and it's audio video, it's not just audio. Mm -hmm. But um, that's how that was born. And originally it was supposed to be me, I'll tell on myself, I don't mind, me being greedy and selfish because I thought if I could do a podcast with a bunch of writers, then I can be, get in front of their audience and hopefully sell more books. Yes. By the time I got to the fifth one, I didn't want to do it anymore because I didn't care to talk about myself on my own platform. So that's when I set out to find two writers to do it together. And it was not, I mean, I didn't expect it to be easy, but it was definitely a lot more difficult than I thought. Mm. And it got to a point to where I said, this is just, the reason, the reason why I stopped is the one of the um, writers forgot to show up. And I just did it with mm. the other writer. And then I emailed them and said, um, you know, that you forget. She's like, oh, I didn't even realize I missed the email, blah, blah, blah. I said, no problem. I said, I'll set you up with someone else. So I set them up with someone else who was already on the show. And we set the date and time. And then that person accidentally overbooked. So we had to reschedule. Oh, wow. So we rescheduled. But then that time something happened. We had to reschedule a third time. And then a fourth time, and then finally I said, <laughs> forget it. Forget Let's it. forget <laughs> this. It's not working. It's just not working. Yeah. And even with um, another, um, I had two people, one of them had to cancel because of a family emergency. And then I rescheduled her, but then she had to cancel because she got sick mm. for her second one. So it was just like, nothing, this is not working anymore. So that's when I said, I need to create something else. And that's when I created the Ready Writer, and that is just me and a, and a writer, and that's it. That's why there's no confusion. So that's how those two happened. My other um, podcast, The Artist Within, that basically started because I was on Instagram, and I saw this artist drawing with both his hands at the same time. And what he does is he has a red, I guess, art pen or red pencil in one hand and then blue in the other. And he draws faces or animals, and one side is red, one side is blue. Wow. And I just said to myself, I have to talk to him. And I didn't know what, I just was trying to figure out, how are you doing this? And so I messaged him and I said, would you like to be on my YouTube show, which I didn't have a show for him at the time. <laughs> and he was like, sure. And I was like, okay, I gotta do something now, because he said yes. Right. So I quickly came up with the artist within and that's how that show came to birth. Then what happened was I didn't really have any other artists to interview. So <laughs> I went on this website, I think it's called Radio Guest something, Radio Guest List. Yeah. Yeah. And I promoted the show and I said, hey, if you are an artist, visual artist, and I made it specific because I know the word artist can mean hundreds of things to mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. So I specifically said, if you are a visual slash fine artist and then i put in parentheses painter sculptor you know knitting etc blah, blah 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 i got singers i got musicians i got actors no visual artists and i was like but that didn't work <laughs> so i said well what do i do with these people because first i wanted to say did you not read what i said right. Right. And so i said well i guess i gotta come up with a show so then I made a show for musicians called the musical, well, musical interlude to say yes to these mu musicians who came to me. 
And then I made up a show called The Show Must Go On for actors, but actors, dancers, performers, for these actors who came to me. Mm. And that's how that show started. And then the last show, um, um, The Gold Mind, which is M-I-N-E-D, meaning the, um, mm-hmm. the mind has in mind, so mm-hmm. entrepreneur gold mind, was started because I know people personally who are entrepreneurs, and I said, well, maybe I'll make a show for them. So I started that show, and I went back on the radio guest list, and I started the show, and then I sent the people I knew, hey, I just started a good show, a new show for entrepreneurs, would you like to be on it? And none of them has responded. So now I have a show for entrepreneurs, and I have plans of creating a new show, but I'm j- only because there's a, a, how do I say, a field of people out there I don't have a show for yet, but it's not like they've knocked on my door, so I feel like right. I really don't have to make right. it yet. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's like, it's on my mind, but it's not something I'm rushed to do because I have so many other shows. It's like, you know, but those are all the shows and how they came to life. So are, are your shows available on most platforms for people to subscribe? <laughs> Oh, well, no, it's only available on YouTube okay. and um, it's called Upload Hubs, which is a website similar to YouTube. It's just owned by someone who's not the same as people who own YouTube. Right, right. Okay, perfect. What I love about that, Casey, is it shows your willingness to, again, to just create when an idea comes. And, and you know, so, so many, what holds so many people back is they don't give themselves permission to just take action. And and sure, there's going to be logistical problems and, you know, just the, the picture you've painted of all the painstaking things that can happen. But at the same time, if you never can, you know, if you never take action, if you stop continuing to create things, you never find that one thing that could become something amazing. And it, it just, it seems like in our modern world, especially, it's almost like people say, well, if I can't hit it on the first or second time, I give up. And when you look at the greatest inventors and creators in human history, it took them thousands and thousands of tries to get something that really made an impact. Well, and I hate to say this because I don't want anyone getting angry with me, but when you look at Thomas Edison, who tried a thousand times to enhance the light bulb to be better, we, according to history, his mother took him out of school at the third grade because she saw that the school system was not good for what she saw in her son. Mm. And then Albert Einstein, one of the world's famous contributors to science, never went to school for science, never became a scientist and was not a scientist. And so, unfortunately, school kind of mm-hmm. removes mm-hmm. our natural sense to create. Um, it basically teaches us that all you have to do is go to school and then get a job, and that's it, and let someone else do everything else. The manager does everything. You just get a job. And so it doesn't really teach us to do those things we are not familiar with doing. It doesn't really give us the opportunity either to create from you know create something from nothing we're right. always taught to just take whatever is and use it and if it's not there then there's nothing you can do you, you can't do it 
Right. So school doesn't really give us that that opportunity to learn how to create from nothing and to go in saying, I have no knowledge, but I'll figure it out as I go. Now, I even with writer to writer interviews, if I decide to bring that back, I've already came up with another option to make sure it works right. But I would have never been able to do that yes. had I not gone in. Yes. And that's what we don't understand is school teaches us you gain knowledge, then you get work. Mm -hmm. But entrepreneurship teaches you you work and you gain knowledge as you're working. <laughs> it's, that's basically how success happens is you gain the knowledge as you're working. Yes. And the thing is, the reason why I say school is the problem is because the first five years of our life were that's how we learn. Mm -hmm. There's no school for learning how to walk, learning how to talk, mm -hmm. how to do your bed, make your bed, clean your room, wash the dishes, get feed yourself. You know, when you first, every child who starts first starts feeding themselves makes a huge mess. Yes. But at some point in time, they learn how to eat without making a mess. They learn how to walk without falling. They learn how to make their bed without it looking like they didn't make their bed. You know, so it's our in our lives that we learn those things. Even when we think about um, the things we use, like a car, you've learned how not to get um, cheated into a bad car because mm -hmm. chances are you've got cheated into a bad car. <laughs> exactly. So now you know right. that, you know, be careful. You know, now they have Yelp and mm -hmm. they have different mm -hmm. websites where you can see, is this really a good place to get a car? Mm -hmm. You now know what to do to get that car and the things you need to know before you go in there. And, you know, maybe you should check YouTube on the, the right way to talk to a car. Like, but no one taught you that. You had to right. learn it through, through, experience and right. so it's sad but experience really when we say educator you can be an informer you can inform people i can inform you that you need a needle some thread and fabric and scissors to make clothing but i can't educate you you have to sit down and make that fabric into clothing for you to know how to do that and unfortunately school doesn't really do that for us we have to do it ourselves Yes, experience is the greatest teacher, right? And that's that's exactly the picture you're painting. And, and I 100% agree with that. It's, you know, you look at parenting for those that have been parents. You look at working on a job. It, it, it really it baffles me because as I work with clients who are business owners, and I often peruse, you know, job boards just to see how are companies really trying to find people and it's insane. You know, they list a hundred qualifications and they list all these degree programs, et cetera, et cetera, which again, kind of like you said earlier, not to upset people or anything. And, and there are professions that you go into doctor, lawyer, school teacher, that you have to have certain degrees, but 80% of the jobs in the world don't take a degree. They take experience or learning. And I tell business leaders constantly, don't hire on experience, hire on character, hire on work ethic, hire on personality and alignment and culture. Experience comes in time. And so I think you're exactly right. You know, the greatest inventions and opportunities in the world, they weren't the first try. They weren't something that was learned in an educational institution most of the time. They were people that were children trying to learn to walk and they fell down and they scabbed their knee and they bled and they cried to their mom. <laughs> and, you know, it's just those type of experiences in life that really take us to the next level. And I love what you pointed out about your writer for writer series. 
if you wouldn't have done it the first time, you wouldn't have learned what you know now to where you can reboot it potentially in the future and have an even better product. And we forget that so often that this this path we're walking now may actually be the passageway to what's going to be next. And what's going to be next may actually be the real thing that takes hold. Yes. But even when you talk about, because you said lawyer, not all states require a degree. They just require you pass the bar, which true, the only thing true. a degree does is prepare you for the bar. Mm-hmm. But if you can read, you can prepare yourself. But even then, it's nice to have that because you need to obviously know what's legal, what's illegal. Um, right. Blah, blah, blah. right. But even then, you can never be a lawyer until you go to the courtroom because they can't prepare you for the the what ifs. You know, yes. what if you found out you're you're in the courtroom and you just found out your client lied to you, or you know, they're saying not guilty, and before you know it, they say guilty. What do you do? Like, <laughs> right. you know, it's like you don't. Yeah, what nothing nothing witness, can prepare you for that. Nothing can. Yeah, can prepare you when for a that. witness when they say there are no witnesses and you're through the trial and out of nowhere some witness pops up and so there really is never you can't prepare for anything because no one knows who or what is coming in the future so you kind of just got to go in and you know yes you may fall a few times but the funny thing like i said school kind of ruins us because when i was thinking about my nephews and nieces they were out in the cold in the snow and I was like, are you guys crazy? It's freezing out there. And my mom was like, you and your brother used to do the exact same thing. And when you think about it, yeah, a lot of us fell riding the bike, but we just got back up. You know, we, we. I know sometimes my brother would come home bleeding and he would be like, are you aware you're bleeding? And he's like, no. <laughs> but when we become adults, we won't even look at the bike because we're afraid we're gonna fall. And yeah. we're we're afraid to take risks, but as children, we took them all the time. Mm-hmm. And lots of times parents can look at their children and say, I don't know how you're alive because all the, the pain you put yourself in. And yet, you know, by the time, I, the problem with school is by the time you get in school, there's so much, um, you know, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't say this, you shouldn't. And it starts making you being more um, self-conscious of everything. Right. Your your I mean your weight, your height, your skin color, your hair, your I'm wearing glasses, I'm four eyes, you know, like every you become self conscious of everything when prior to school you were self conscious of nothing. And it's as difficult it is, you gotta get to the point to where you go back to that mind of a childhood where it's yes. just Yes. Just do it. And I don't a lot of sixty, seventy, eighty year olds say, Yeah, the good thing about being old is you can but you should never there should never be a time in your life where you're that self-conscious right yeah it's like there's this gap that that's that starts at five years old and ends at 65 and it's like the 60 years in between should be lived like you know the before and the after yes that's a lot of years you you, you waste it, it it is it's the core of life that's the idea that we call the beginner's mind, you know, to live with a mind of that childhood curiosity of those childhood questions of not being afraid, you know, like you said, to jump on the bike and to just go and see where it takes you. And, but we do life and, and, you know, school is one formula. It's, it's one path. The problem is no two people live from the same formula. Everyone is different. 
And that's the, that's the part of our humanity that we need to engage more often. And so I love that about you. I love that, you know, when I look at your Rolodex of books, it's so diverse. Your podcast is um, so diverse. Your experiences are so diverse. And thank you for sharing that with the world. It's, it, it takes a lot of courage. A lot of people, I, I can't tell you how many times people have told me, I always wanted to write a book. And it's like, okay, why haven't you? It's right. just that permission and that courage. And so thank you for living courageously. Oh, you're welcome. Tell us a little bit about, um, on your website, you do have kind of a little blurb about some things that you teach on. Uh, tell us a little bit more about, about those for any listeners that might be interested. Yes, so their webinars I started, um, so through, I'll say from 2001-ish up until now. So what happened was I got to college my first year. But prior to college, when they would teach in um, school that AD means after the death of Christ, I would always ask in my mind, because by then I was learned not to question teachers. Mm. So when I had questions, I just keep quiet. Mm. So they would say BC is before he was born and AD is after he died. And my question was, well, where do you have time period after he was born, but before he died? Mm. But I never asked because I was too afraid. I thought I was going to get in trouble because... I remember in second grade <laughs> saying something. Um, it was wrong, I guess you could say, but it was the truth. <laughs> and I don't know if you remember in second reading reading classes where you had to read a story, and then at the end they would ask you questions about right. the story. Right. So a lot of the stuff was boring to me. So I would read the questions first, and then find the answers. And I would actually read, uh, if they would say, what color is the cat? I would go look and see what color they said the cat was. And that was right. it. So I said that. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I don't even read it. I just look at the <laughs> questions and look, go back. And I said it innocently, like, that's what I do. And the teacher was like, that's wrong, Casey. And I was like, oh. And so from then on there, I was like, I guess I shouldn't share uh, anything because mm. now I'm afraid I'm going to get in trouble. So I stopped sharing and speaking and so by the time i got to college and found out that ad actually is a latin term for the year <laughs> right. of the lord the first thing was i was excited and relieved to know the truth but then the second thing i was like well why didn't they teach us that yes like, yes and then a part of me said well maybe because they're children they may not understand latin they may not understand what latin is yada yada but at the end of the day there are ways you can teach to every level mm -hmm. without lying. Mm -hmm. So I was very angry. And so from then on out, everything I was taught, I researched it to make sure it mm -hmm. was true, only to come find out that most of everything that's being taught in America is not true it's because- a It's a myth, yep. A lot of the, even silly things like, mm -hmm. um, um, when, when I, I grew up in theater and they would always say, don't say good luck, it's bad luck. You're supposed to say break a leg. And I would be like, stupid. <laughs> Only come to find out there that was never a good luck, a superstitious thing. I don't know if you know about the Rotten Tomatoes, how no. they used, if, you, if the, the show was bad, they literally would throw Rotten Tomatoes no. at you. And that started only because plays used to be anywhere from three to five hours long and they mm -hmm. had no intermission. Mm -hmm. So they would bring their lunch to the theater. And right. if they didn't like something, right. they would throw their lunch. And to save their lunch, they started buying Rotten Tomatoes. 
So when people would tell actors break a leg, break a leg basically because women curtsy when mm -hmm. they bow. Mm -hmm. So the break the leg means we hope you get a chance to bow because mm -hmm. if you don't, that means you got you didn't make it all the way through. <laughs> so it wasn't superstitious. It was more of a joke, right? Like a, a sarcastic joke than it was superstition. But over time its original meaning got lost mm -hmm. and people started thinking it's superstition and if you say blah 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 so a lot of the things we learn today is just what i say necessary to our ancestors because they lived in a different time than we did mm -hmm. and because we don't live as they did and we've changed a lot of things a lot of the things they do we don't need to do it anymore and it's not bad or you know prejudice it's just because of technology and because of the way we, we've yeah. decided it doesn't matter how bad the show is you're not allowed to throw anything right. at the, which is that's the reason why now the, that was the original reasons why theater started restricting food from in the um, theater because mm -hmm. they didn't want people throwing food at the stage because that's not allowed anymore, we don't need break a leg because even yeah. if it's bad or even if the lights go out, at the end of the day, you, you can't control whether someone bows or not. So I just started researching everything and realized that there's so much we don't know and the reason why we fail, not only just in our finances, but in our health, mm. in our relationships and how we raise our children is we're living by what we were taught, which is not true. So I began to find the original truth behind things. And at first I was like, oh, this is, this is cool, this is fun, and I kept it to myself. And I remember hearing Holy Spirit say, you know, you should probably share this. And I was like, because it's, when you've lived a lie for, I'll say at least 10 plus years, and it came from someone with a degree, yes, someone yes. highly respected, yes. and some person, who has like no significant degrees and it's hard for you to take the tr truth from them. So my first reaction was, well, you told me, Lord, you can tell them. I'm not telling mm. anybody anything. Mm. And finally I said, well, maybe I'll just make it a as a webinar. That way people have the option to come in and receive it. So that's when I started making classes according to the information I found during my research. And Right now, three of them you can actually purchase. The rest, I'm honestly procrastinating to produce them, but they will be produced at some point in time. Yeah. And where do people access those? AuthorCaseyBell.com. Okay. And then you on click on webinars. Yeah. yeah. Author Casey, and we'll have that listed in the show notes as well. Uh, yeah, that 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 whole. Uh, that whole testimony that you just gave, it, it really is. And, you know, we all grow up with what we are taught is truth. And, and it's, it's a cultural thing, whatever, you, you know, you grow up with all of these belief systems that, again, in the innocence of childhood, you're just taught and they're kind of wired within you. For some people, it's religion. For some people, it's, uh, you know, just familial type cultures that matter to them. And, it can be anything from a from a diet. You know, I kind of grew up in the South, and so your diet isn't great. Fortunately, my family has great DNA, and so you know they could they could not you know they could eat fried chicken and loaded mashed potatoes and all of that all the time, and it wasn't as big of a deal. 
But at the same time, you start learning, okay, so frying everything isn't really a great option. <laughs> I shouldn't be doing that a lot. So it can be something as small as a diet. It can be, you know, like I said, religiously, and you kind of alluded to that. And I'm right there with you. You know, that, that's been my experience in life is, you know, we grew up with American Christianity for as far back as we can track. It's just been in our family for generations. And you start getting into adulthood and learning these things and you're like, hold on a second. <laughs> that doesn't add up quite like it's supposed to add up. And what people forget is it's a very, when, when you're dealing with, with things that have kind of been embedded into your DNA, it is a very emotional, spiritual kind of doorway to walk through, to start dipping your toe in the water of, A.D. doesn't mean after Christ's death. (laughs) Like, that's a major thing to all of a sudden go, whoa, that's not exactly right. And, and, And what makes it even more difficult, and I don't know if this has been your experience or not, the majority of the people in my life that taught me those myths were very sincere. They were very loving, and it wasn't like they were trying to brainwash me. It's just that was their perception, and so they handed that perception down. And that happens to everyone in one form or fashion. And so, I, yeah, I think that's a testimony to, again, kind of what you've said through the whole show. Take your own education into your own hands. Yeah. Take your own knowledge and wisdom and experience into your own hands and take action on those things. Well, it's also fear because in every yes, if you think yes. of every system – they put fear into us. And so if you question your parents, we're going to spank you. Mm-hmm. If you question the pastor, you're going to hell. Yes. If you question the teacher, you're going to the principal's office. If you question the police, we're going to arrest you and mess up your record. If yeah. you question the doctors, you're going to die. So everything we've been put fe- in every system, we've been put fear that you don't question yeah. what we tell you is gold and you believe it. And so you would say but when you're a child, it's understandable. But by the time you are an adult, you've gotten so used to that. Yes, that's all you that believe. That's all you believe. It's not so much I have a problem questioning. It's all that fear coming yes. back to you that you're yes. going to get in trouble if you question. Yes. And it's something you have to break yourself, that you have to come out of yourself and realize, I don't have to question those people. I can just go to the library and question it myself and get right. the right answer. Right. And so that's basically... I always say, um, if you, if I, if I ask someone, I really want a peach tree in my front yard, can you help me? And they say they're going to help me. And then five years later, there's an orange tree for you to go, oh, they really did help me. It's like, (laughs) no, you said a peach tree. So you really need to start questioning because you don't have the results you wanted. So whether it's in your finances, your relationships, your spirituality, your religion, whatever, if you're not getting the results you want, you don't just sit back and go, oh yeah, I'm gonna keep doing this thing that I can see is not working, but I'm gonna keep doing it. It's like, no, if you see, if you wanted something and you didn't get it, you need to question. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. I'm. I'm 44 years old, and there are still things that I know are absolutely not true, but I still have a hard time doing because of what I was taught as a kid, because of what's going to happen to you. You know, and again, growing up in a, in a, in a religious atmosphere, even though I know it's not going to happen, it's like, well, if I do that, I'm going to hell. Even though in my mind, I'm like, no, that's, that's 
absurd. That's not going to happen that way. <laughs> but it, it is right. because you're taught those as a kid in your subconscious and it resides within you. And it's a constant work, right? It's a constant work to go, no, that's not going to happen. And that, that's why I think conversations like this are very powerful because there could potentially be someone listening to this that, that needs that permission to challenge those belief systems within themselves, to question everything and to go, okay, I know in my subconscious, I believe that I don't really believe it, but I still have work to do on it. And it's, it's, we should be doing that work. 100% should be doing that work. So yeah, thank you for going on that kind of uh, tangent, because I think that opens up a whole new realm internally that is really necessary, really necessary, and potentially more today than ever. Um, because so much of life, especially when it's social media based is so shallow. And what I find is people are even more fearful of the deep conversations because it becomes vulnerable. And we've almost kind of gotten to the point as a culture that we don't want that vulnerability, but it's the power is found in living from that vulnerability. Yes. The other thing I would like to add to that is when you are researching, always remember anything written 10 years old or older, remember your knowledge was not in existence. Right. So lots of times people read the Bible with their knowledge today, forgetting your knowledge was not in existence. Mm -hmm. Or even the Declaration of Independence, people don't understand what's what they really meant because they don't know our forefathers, what they believed and what they thought. And so mm -hmm. what you have to do is research that lifestyle of that Time yes, period. and connect so those dots. Book, yes, yes. Yes. So if you're reading a book from someone who was living in, I don't know, 14 AD, 1400 AD, you really need to research how did they live, how did they eat, how did they dress, what did they believe, even if it was false belief, still, what did they believe? Because that will show you why they wrote what they wrote and what they meant. And even though it sounds like they meant such and such, because that's what you know today you really got to go from their knowledge because when people yes. say things like people say the bible was written to us it wasn't necessarily written to us because those who wrote it didn't know we would exist right. they didn't know about right. smartphones it's impossible yeah it's they didn't impossible. know about all of that stuff but what they did write a lot of it is still true for today because some like our our heart is still the same heart as it was back mm -hmm. then mm -hmm. So some of the things we can still use, but we have to understand what they wrote according to the knowledge they had at that time. Yeah. So you can't just read stuff that that's old. Right. Yeah. Truth is perceptive, perceptive, right? Like it's, it's whatever your perception and experiences at the time is your truth. And that change, I mean, the book I released in 2014, I wouldn't write today. I just, I wouldn't, I'm a totally different person. I was sharing someone the other day about a business. It's my favorite business book. It's called the one minute manager by Ken Blanchard. It was written probably in the eighties or nineties. I don't know. And his whole, um, one of his whole principles is the power of post-it notes and how to use post-it notes to impact your team. And it's like, no one would ever write that today. Like, <laughs> Like most people, they don't even know what post-it notes are, but it, but you know, to, to your point, when you look at the, at the outward surface, the shallow surface of what people have written, there is no connectivity. But when you look at the human spirit of what is written, there's always connectivity. And it's just, how does that actually apply? Where that, where are they coming from? What does that look like? 
and it's definitely applicable in ancient text, whatever those are. Um, so yeah, great point. I love that. Casey, this has been a great conversation, man. I have loved this and we went places I didn't know we would go, which is how it usually works. And that's awesome. So, uh, I always like to end the, sh end the show on five questions and, uh, try your best to give them one word answers. There's a few questions that you may have to use a few extra words. So I'll let you do that. So, um, if you're ready, here we go. Five questions regarding books. Do you read digital or paper? Paper. Yeah. Old school. I'm the same way. Someone, someone yesterday, I was talking to them about a book and they were like, just, you can get the audio version. I'm like, no, no, no. I like to write in them and ear tag them and mark them. And yeah, I like the book and I like to give them away too. So, well, yeah. I wouldn't do audio because the brain needs to exercise and reading is a way to exercise and it doesn't get the same exercise when you do Listening. audio. Yeah. So that's why yeah. I do paper. Yeah. Do you prefer coffee or tea? Tea. If you could have a cheat meal, what would it be? What is that? What do you mean? So like, like if, a, you, uh, if you, if you, if you, if you try and eat, unhealthy you yeah, yeah. It's just a meal that you're like, ah, it's a Sunday afternoon. I get a cheat meal. Um, you really should have asked me that like <laughs> two years ago, because the reason why I say that is I've actually been on a particular diet because I was sick for a while. Oh, wow. Really sick. Yeah. And I diagnosed myself and I started changing my diet and I started getting better. Mm. And on Sunday, I went to, please forgive me. I was wearing a mask, everyone, <laughs> but I went to one of my nephews, um, had a birthday. So I went to visit him and my sister ordered pizza mm. and I had to, I also had bread, which I'm not supposed to be eating bread. And after I had my meal, I got sick. Uh, and uh, I was like, okay, can't do that. No again. more. Can't do that. No again. more. So Monday, I reset myself, um, you know, with my tea and my water, and I'm doing much better now. But the pain I was feeling Sunday, I was like, I'm not. Because yeah. I used to say, as soon as. Because I know what the sickness is and I know what I have to do to get rid of it. And I said, as soon as I get rid of it, I'm gonna go, go back to eating what I want. But it's like, no, because once you re, well, I don't know if this is true for everyone, but once you reset your body, like so that's why sometimes someone could be a cocaine addict mm -hmm. and then stop yeah. for 10 years. And when they start again, they immediately die. Yeah, go back in. Yeah. Because once you reset your body, it doesn't respond the same way as it did to right. whatever you stopped eating. Right. So my body now is at the point to where it's not, it does, it gets sick immediately from certain yeah. foods. Yeah. So I'm not at the point where I'm like, I'm good. I don't need to cheat so, anymore. So no cheat meals for Casey, except if you did, it was no. pizza and it didn't work out very well. <laughs> no, I did not. Um, what's one adventure you would like to go on? One. Got to pick one. Mm. I don't even know. Um, like, is it just go to a place or can the venture be including like multiple places? Yeah, you get to pick. <laughs> <laughs> you get to pick. Um, well, pretending there's nothing wrong 
Yeah. All is clear. All is clear. Yeah. The world and I had lots of money. I would probably travel just to see the different countries and nations form of theater. Ah, so nice. whether it be opera, plays, dance, I go to different cities and see a show just yeah. to just to see. But yeah, definitely that. Love it. Love it. Last one. What's your favorite form of self-care? I don't have a favorite because I don't like any of them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Maybe, um, I guess you can say um, prayer meditation, Um, like sitting and relaxing, like not literally not doing anything. Love it. Like. Yeah, that would be it. I love it. Casey, this has been awesome. Uh, Brothers and sisters, I hope you've enjoyed the conversation. Go visit Casey online at authorcaseybell.com and his social media um, uh, tags will be in the show notes as well. So make sure you check out his work on his website and you can see all the books in his uh, library of projects. Be sure to follow Casey on social media so you can keep up to date with all of his new projects coming because, as we've talked about, he's willing to give it a try, so you never know what's going to come next. So, Casey, thanks for coming on the Mitch Gray Show. We enjoyed having you. And, brothers and sisters, we hope you have a great day. We will talk to you soon.